there. You're listening to the Grace in Real Time podcast. I'm your host, Paula Mazza, and together with my producer and husband, Jamie, we're exploring conversations about mental health, faith, and the importance of presenting our most honest and authentic selves when it comes to life in community. No tidy bows here, just real talk about real life in real time. This conversation is ongoing, and we are so glad you have chosen to be a part of it. So take a deep breath, settle in, and enjoy today's episode of Grace in Real Time. Hey, Jamie. Hey, Paula. How's it going? It is going excellent. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It is a new year and I'm feeling optimistic. How about you? Sure. Sure. (laughs) Well, by the time that everybody's listening to this, it will be 2022 and I just turned 50. Some of our listeners don't know that your birthday is actually on New Year's Day. Yep. New Year's baby. That's right. So on the eve of your birthday, the whole world celebrates. Yep. Everybody stays up late, celebrates the coming of my birthday. That's right. And fireworks. fireworks and <laughs> just amazing. It is amazing. Well, you are worth it. What are you looking forward to in 2022? You know, I am looking forward to finding new ways to stay grounded. I keep learning new things about myself and the way my brain works and the way that I respond to things. And so uh, I found myself spinning a little bit in this last year as I'm relearning some things, especially being in school and traveling and working full time and all that kind of stuff. So I'm looking forward in this new year to take the things that I learned about myself in this last year and see how to grow from that. How about you? Yeah, well, I agree with what you said for myself as well. And I think I'm going to take a lot of things that I've learned over the last couple of years and try to apply them in this next year. Self-care and making sure that I'm taking care of myself in a way that prepares me for the busy times when I have a lot of work going on and just going from thing to thing. I want to make sure that I'm starting my day with some self-care and preparing myself for each day. Yeah. It's funny, I'm actually teaching a breakout on self-care in a couple of weeks here at uh, the Children's Ministries Conference, and I fully intend to go in there saying, hey, people, I have not nailed this yet, but I am learning and I've recognized this is important. I think that's something we're both doing. Yeah, for sure. Well, talking about CPC, you've got a great interview this time with someone who you got connected to through that conference. I know, friends. I am so stinking excited for this. I have the great honor to present to you an interview I did with Michaela White, who is the executive director of the International Children's Ministries Network. And it is through INCM that CPC exists, the Children's Pastors Convention, And she is somebody who has struck me as wise beyond her years. There's something about her, and you'll hear it when she speaks, that is incredibly gentle, but just so wise. And so I just can't wait for you to hear what she has to say. So let's get to it. Well, Michaela White, hi. 
Welcome Hi. to the show. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, this is this is really great fun. So tell us a little bit about you. Who are you? What do you do? What's what's what are your days filled with? Yeah. So I am married to Stephen. We met when we were 12 years old. So as preteens and knew when we were 14 that we would be married someday. Yep. What? Yep. Oh my goodness. Okay. Sure did. And then let's see, we got married now 11 going on 12 years ago. We've known each other for more of our lives than we haven't known (laughs) each Mm. other. Like that's wow. We were reflecting on that at our most recent anniversary of just how special that is that we've had more life with each other than without each other. And we are raising two little boys. So Declan is eight years old and he is our very responsible, analytical, logical thinker. He Mm. loves robotics and math and science and astronomy. He's like, he just, all of those things make sense for him, which I just look at and wonder because those were the sides of my brain that I always (laughs) struggled to just (laughs) make right side up of. And then Zeke is our our five-year-old and Zeke is he just, he happens to the world. He is great at making friends and loves to make people laugh. And hmm. yeah, he's just, he's a, he's a real blessing in our lives. So two amazing kids, two very different kids from one another, but we're having a blast raising both of them. And um, we are born and raised in the Chicago area. So um, that's where we're based. And um, we're Cubs fans, not Sox fans. Just for anyone who's curious, I, I know it's a, this is important. This is a <laughs> this it's is an, an important, important divide. Yes, <laughs> I grew um, up going to Wrigley Field. Um, yes. My dad actually was born and raised in Chicago. Okay, um, and so like like in the Depression era. <laughs> okay, wow. um, yeah, yeah. So we would visit often, and and yep. Wrigley Field was a big highlight in its different spaces. And yeah, yeah, amazing. So that's family. And then for work and life, uh, I get to serve the children's and family ministry community. I've been doing that in parachurch environments for 15 years and the past seven of those, almost eight with INCM, the International Network of Children's Ministry. I get to serve as the executive director. So um, I get to oversee our team as we make sure that this community is connected to what they need to champion the discipleship of kids and families. And it's just one of the most incredible blessings to be able to have this seat in, in the kingdom and see what God's doing. I wonder, and we'll talk more about this later on, but just initially, what drew you to this position with INCM? Like, what is it about it that that felt like the faithful yes to you? Yeah. Okay. Well, I think the short story of it is my mom was a volunteer children's ministry director. So I grew up participating, seeing children's ministry from backstage, basically, Mm -hmm. from a young age. And I think that one of the prevailing thoughts that always stuck with me as I watched my mom pack curriculum and try to hunt down volunteers and make sure the rooms were ready, all of those things that, you know, any children's ministry leader listening could relate to was that, number one, I wish that she had all of what she needed. It felt like she was doing a lot. Even as a kid, I could just observe, this is a lot, you know? Yeah. And also just, 
I don't know that she, and this is not a knock on the church at all that we were a part of, but I don't know that she was necessarily appreciated for all she was doing because I don't know that people realized all that she was doing. Which is also a common experience. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) And so there was just that like appreciation, connection and needs, basic needs that needed to be met that I was just always curious about. And I knew I wanted to serve kids and families in some capacity, but I just could never really figure out what this mix of things that God had given to me was really for. You know, so I just was like, I'll, I'll go for teaching. I'll go for education. And God interrupted that path. And when I was uh, 19, was given an opportunity as an intern to come on full time at an organization that served children's ministry leaders, more from like curriculum and programming side of things. And that was when I had the opportunity to go to my first children's pastors conference. When I walked in the door to CPC and walked around the resource center and sat in breakouts. I, all I could think the whole time was, this is what she needed. I wish she knew that this had existed. And I was completely taken with CPC at that point. And then fast forward a couple of years, they um, had some open positions and the executive director at the time asked me to consider the training director role. And mm-hmm. um, it was my interview with the board that really sealed for me that this was the best yes to come on staff at INCM because the vision that they they had and the values that they have as a leadership team were so compelling and so already a part of my DNA that it mm. felt like putting on something that was made for you, you yeah. know, that was just tailored to you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's really hindsight is so clarifying, isn't it? When I when I look back, I see the steps in the journey that maybe didn't make sense at the time, but God was giving me all of the tools that I needed to be mm-hmm. able to do what he was asking me to do here. Yeah. Wow. And and I'll tell you, Michaela, because I've been around CPC long enough to to remember when you weren't the executive executive director and then when you became the executive director. And I'll say, I'm so glad that you recognize that movement in yourself because mm-hmm. I, I recognized it immediately that mm-hmm. one of the things that you bring it's not that it's necessarily unique in concept but your execution of this is very unique and special i think and it, and mm-hmm. and what it is is the way that you are just continuously loving and supporting and holding up ministry workers mm-hmm. uh, in 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 a way that is not fluff or not just i want to make you feel good but it's authentic mm-hmm. You know, it's a genuine appreciation and a genuine, um, I feel loved even before I knew you, before we had made eye contact, Mm. (laughs) I felt loved by you. Um, which mm. is which is pretty remarkable, but not in like a, oh, there's Michaela kind of way. It was like, there's a person who gets it and really sees ministry workers and mm. wants to really wants to take on the the banner of kind of holding up our arms. <laughs> and, and praying yeah. for us uh, yeah. in a really special way. So I just yeah. I just say that to affirm what you already feel. That's really kind. Yeah. Thank you, Paula. All right. Well, let's rewind. Let's let's go back in time a little bit. Mm-hmm. I would love to hear a little bit about your family of origin. What was it like growing up for you? And of course, I'm always interested in in curious about what preteen years were like for you. Yeah, absolutely. I am really grateful that I grew up in a home where both my mom and my dad, they were followers of Jesus. 
I think what's probably unique about our family of origin is that my dad is a Jewish believer and he came to faith in his 20s. And the work he did really to pioneer for a family what it looked like to follow Yeshua through the lens of our ethnic and spiritual heritage was, as I've gotten older, um, just looking back on what an incredible gift that was for our family. So I'm the youngest of three and my sister's eight years older than I am. My brother's six years older than I am. So I'm kind of like a second firstborn really in mm-hmm. how I, I function, I would say, and, and how our family operated. I grew up attending a Messianic congregation. Basically what that is, is um, it's, a, it's a body of believers, Jewish believers and those who aren't Jewish gathering together and worshiping Jesus as the Messiah doing that through the the lens of the Jewishness of Jesus in scripture. And so that was my um that was my spiritual formation really happened in that church environment. I was homeschooled since first grade and all the way up through high school, so that's also uh, probably a unique part of my story. And I would say preteen years were really when I would say like the tumult happened. Yeah, that was really when it got tumultuous. And Mm -hmm. you know this better than anyone. Those preteen years are are already full of transition. But there was quite a compression that I experienced in my life during that period of time. We were a part of a homeschool cohort. And then probably about first grade through fourth grade. And it was really good until it wasn't. And <laughs> as most as most things can be described that fall into this category, we ended up leaving the cohort as a child. Um, I wasn't privy to all of the reasons, but I was aware enough that things were going wrong there and that there was a lot of unhealth. But it was where my friends were. It was my, you know, it was my community. We were there quite a lot. And um, when my parents made the decision to leave, I understood some of the reasons why, but I was pretty heartbroken to lose that community. And then at the same time, we, my parents also made the decision to transition out of our congregation and Mm. go to a new church setting. That was the other grounding, the other route and community that I had that got pulled up. And I felt really isolated uh, with those two things being gone. Then at the same time, my grandmother, who who lived in town, was experiencing early onset dementia. She had a fall and broke her hip. And just through a series of events, because my mom's a nurse, grandma came to live in our family room. So our family room got converted to having a hospital bed in the middle of it. And grandma was living with us, which was very special and important to have her there. But as anyone who might have a family member with dementia or Alzheimer's can attest to, it can be very challenging and emotional Mm -hmm. at the Mm -hmm. same time. Mm -hmm. And so all of those things coming together in those preteen years were quite intense. And I would say that if it wasn't for, you know, a couple of key voices in my life to continue to just speak grounding over me and, and blessing over me and perspective over me, I don't know, honestly, Paula, where, where I would be today. 
So those, those were some pretty significant influences that helped me through what felt, you know, really uprooted. Yeah. It's been a very common theme in, even in these interviews I've been doing where there is some sort of chaos or tension Mm -hmm. during Mm -hmm. these preteen years that are already, already Mm -hmm. full of change and tension Mm -hmm. and, and transition and all of that. And um, the significance, I mean, these are adults reflecting back on their preteen years and the significance of that one or two voices, those Mm -hmm. one or two people who Mm -hmm. really didn't even know what was going on at home, but knew that 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 presence was important and spoke yes. truth and love into kids and how significant that has been for their formation. Yes, absolutely. I think about a camp experience. So camp was really a, a bit of a lifeline in the middle of that time of life. And this particular year going to camp felt really out of sorts, like out of place, out of sorts, out of you know, unrooted, like I mentioned before, but also just really curious about where was God and all of this. And, and I remember sitting on a bench at camp while everyone was playing, I think it was capture the flag and just processing through some things, you know, we had we had just learned before I, I went to this camp that the leaders of the cohort were going to trial because of some crimes that they had committed. The the homeschool co-op that we were a part of, the leaders of that were going to trial. And so I was sitting there at camp just processing through that a little bit and looking at the kids and just feeling outside. And one of the camp directors who was a family friend of ours sat down and I don't know that, I don't think he knew anything that had been happening or, you know, that, that had gone on. And he just spoke to me so honestly and genuinely and, you know, Hey, Mickey B, you know, how you doing? I'm okay. You know, typical (laughs) response. And and him just going in saying, hey, I know that you feel kind of outside of all of this. And some of the reasons why is because you kind of are. Mm-hmm. And he goes, let me let me explain to you what I think you might be feeling right now. And he just went on to identify that I was older than I was, mm-hmm. and that God had given me gifts that might feel heavy right now, but are for a purpose. Mm-hmm. And just really encouraged me to not take my eyes off of him and to keep being faithful. And he he closed it off with, if you can keep being faithful to Yeshua, Mekibi, I know that you're going to see miracles. I know that you're going to see him do the impossible and he's wow. going to be worth it. Wow. And, you know, that conversation was really critical for me because he named without me having to even dig in and explain. Mm-hmm. He named some things that I didn't even, I was holding them. I just didn't know what they were. Mm-hmm. And, and he was just so brave and faithful to call it out. And then he yeah. got, got up and walked away. Like he <laughs> didn't make it a bigger thing, you know, like yeah, yeah. he just let me Planted soak it in. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. Um, I'm inspired by voices like that who are willing to really see kids and mm. help them name some things they might be holding and right. let them process it through. Well, and such a key part of that is 
the understanding that sometimes, oftentimes, kids don't yet have the vocabulary to express yep. what it is that they're experiencing. And I, I hear adults say often how resilient kids are. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, I, I don't know if they are as resilient as we think they are. I think they just don't have the words or the language to express what's going on. And so odds are they're, they're going to be unpacking stuff as a later adolescent, as a young adult, as a yes. you know midlife something or other. Um, because yeah. they didn't have the words to process. I mean, I know where where I am. There's a lot of depression in 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 southern San Diego. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, in San Diego County, and um, I don't think we're unique to the nation at all. Yeah, but I know way more young people, almost more than my heart can handle, who took their life. Wow. And so often, the stories I hear around the thing that kind of pushed them over the edge was some sort of stress tolerance that they that was part of life. A lot, you know, a breakup with a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a, something not turning out the way that was expected or something like that, and they just didn't have the skills or the vocabulary or the space yeah. to draw what they needed in order to navigate that yeah. um, and, and thought, well, okay, then the option is I'm not supposed to be here um, or yeah. I just can't, yeah. I can't anymore. It's just, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. It yeah. So to be able to be in a place where, where we can recognize the power of coming along, not just coming alongside kids, but really seeing them and mm-hmm. seeing their hearing, hearing them and giving them mm-hmm. space to work some stuff out. Yeah. Because I mean, his other option, I just, I think about that moment, I I learned so much from it, because his other option could have been like, hey, get out there. Like, why are you sitting on the bench? Go play with the other kids. That could have very well been his response. And that wouldn't have felt, you know, out of place. We, I think when we see a, a child processing something, what he modeled in that moment was just, is this a moment where they need encouragement to engage or does she need to hear some things? Right. And he, he wasn't moving so fast from, you know, one part of the campground to another that he just ignored what was happening. He right. stopped and noticed and spoke into it and yeah. then went to the other end of the campground. But I, and never, Never once was it about, hey, go do what the other kids are doing right now. It right. was, no, oh, I, I, I can tell that you're processing something right now. Here's some yeah. perspective for that. Yeah, but a powerful I see you moment. Mm-hmm. Michaela, when you were talking about just those feelings of transition that you were experiencing between, um, you know, the homeschool situation and then changing churches. I know as, and I heard you say as a preteen, you're experiencing that transition within yourself. Mm -hmm. But I wonder what you observed from the adults in your household, what was going on there might have influenced how you navigated that or what you were taking on maybe. Yeah, I think what I saw happening was, grief Mm. and in multiple areas of life at the same time. There was also, I mean, throw in some of the economic issues that were happening at Mm. the time and Mm. how that impacted my dad's industry specifically. And, you know, it's just a cocktail of, of stress and, you know, questions and uncertainty. So there was a lot of grief and a lot of, I think, tension in our home. And my parents are um, incredible 
but they're human beings. And so I, I have a ton of grace for how it was that they navigated it. But I think because I saw the grief and I saw the tension, I definitely had the personality even then where I wanted to be a help and I wanted to help them be okay. And so mm. I don't think I vocalized as much as, as I would have in a different situation what I was processing. And much of my processing and my counseling journey happened a lot later in life mm. about yeah. that period of time. So can you talk a little bit more about your process of healing moving forward? Yeah, I think one thing just to to know, I didn't go into this about my background, but the culture of the co-op that we were a part of was very anti anything mental health, anything mm. counseling. It was bad. It was very bad. And even culturally in the church we ended up in when I was in high school, it wasn't acceptable conversation to talk right. about mental health issues that, that was off the table. So fast forward to my academic journey, and I end up pursuing a degree in psychology <laughs> and specializing in counseling and coaching. It was, you know, quite a, quite a, a shift. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And part of that was really great academic advisors who in conversations mm. with me started to pick up on strength and also, you know, some, some key people in my life who I think knew that this would be something that would not only be good for me, but that God had given me a story that my story could be used to bless others. Yeah. And so I pursued um, my degree in psychology. And obviously that opened the pathway for me to get connected to a wonderful counselor. And, you know, th the preteen years weren't the end of the traumatic experiences either. Sure. Right. Sure. And so I think the counseling experience was pivotal in giving me safe space to mm. really kind of go back and allow myself to process through some things that I had stuffed you know, because of, again, that desire to just be okay and support my family, but also to have the tools to approach life and health and wholeness. And it's, I think that's one of the things that I look at and think, wow, what an incredible gift on my journey with Jesus to be able to have that faith to pursue healing with him. Mm -hmm. And to really talk about the real things with him, because I simply wasn't allowing myself to access those spaces. You know, he wants to come in and, and heal and bring wholeness and shalom to our lives. Mm -hmm. And counseling is such a huge part of, I think, what it looks like for us to really open up the door to those spaces. So I'm grateful for it. Absolutely. I recently did a seminar at my church on mental health and, and preteens, and I was adamant about using the same space that we worship in on Sunday mm -hmm. mornings um, so that visually people mm -hmm. could see that this is all, it all fits. Um, yep. It's not, these are not different things. And, and that God more often than not works through people to bring shalom. And so, yeah. and, and people in our community, people who yeah. he has gifted and given different passions to and, and yeah. insight and wisdom to kind of collect all these, all these resources in our boats to help us yeah. navigate. A couple months ago, I was speaking at a conference about preteen mental health. And 
when I, it was funny because in terms of content, when I came to the end of my session, I was feeling kind of like, oh, I didn't say all the things I wanted to say. And I don't know if I hit the mark and I spent too much time talking about this and did get to say this. And, you know, so I was up before the thing was over, I was already judging how it went. (laughs) My my inner critic was hard at work. Yep. (laughs) And it was interesting because as soon as the breakout, as soon as the session was over, a line started to form. And it was, it wasn't people saying, oh, Paul, it's so nice to meet you. You know, it was people who were saying this topic is so important. And I didn't know that we could talk about this or people who had specific stories about someone in their lives that they're just are so thankful to have someone to talk to about it. And I will always remember this one man, grown man who came up to me in tears because he was a, a counselor and now serves at a church and children's ministries. And this church doesn't talk about it and doesn't allow space to talk about this. And it just broke his heart. And he was so thankful that at this conference of children's ministers um, at a church, that there's a whole session and a whole space to talk specifically about this. I think, man, what would have been different for so many kids, you know, not just, not just my story, but so many kids stories. If, that conversation was normalized in a mm-hmm. church environment where it wouldn't have been taboo to right. process right. through it. And that I think reflects back on, you know, some of the things you shared earlier, which I think is just wisdom is like, let's track back the results of what we're seeing right now and do better right at the beginning with our kids to create environments where they're seen safe and where their health and their wholeness matters to us, where we don't just assume resiliency and we Mm -hmm. don't just assume health and that they're going to be okay. So yeah, I am with you on that. And I was just having a conversation with friends the other night, reflecting on how often good behavior, what we qualify as good behavior can be received as a kid who's doing just fine or wellness, you know, good behavior equals wellness. Whereas I'm aware of several stories. In in fact, one of my daughters would fit in this category of someone who would fall into the background and hold in what they're going through Mm -hmm. because there's so much going on externally that they don't Mm -hmm. want to add to that. They yep. see what's happening. So they don't want to add. So they just think, okay, well, I guess what I need to do is just Manage behave yep. and, and deal with it and, yep. you know, try to get through it. And it's really important to be able to see that and mm-hmm. um, give space for the, you know, not yep. to make assumptions about That's where right. kids are. That's right. Yeah. We can't allow behavior alone to be the measuring stick mm-hmm. for us on the health of our kids. I 100% agree with you because more often than not, yes, behavior is communication, but it's not always going to be acting out. It's not always going to be an obvious trauma response. And I think that just highlights how important relationship and actually knowing the kids that you're serving Mm -hmm. is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And even in even getting some training on how does mental wellness, mental health concern, you know, in any of this, what does it look like for uh, kids and preteens that might be different than what you would see in adults? Like, right. I know that oftentimes depression shows up as aggression. 
yeah. in in young kids. And yeah. you think, oh, why is why is my kid so wound up or so, you know, mm-hmm. the energy is just like in your face. And mm-hmm. the truth is there, you know, there could well be some depression going on there. And that doesn't mean yeah. that it necessarily is, but it right. certainly is an opportunity to ask some different questions. Sure. Absolutely. So now moving into your mom hat, which I, yeah. I don't think that hat ever comes off. <laughs> it's always on. But you have an eight-year-old at home. Mm-hmm. You have you have a young I man do. who was who was right there on the collar. Oh, what are you noticing? What's going on? Yeah, how you doing, mom? <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, okay, number one, the conversations and interests like seeing him really individualized has been just a, like a, a wide eyed, you know, like, Oh, we're at this stage now. <laughs> and even really helping him manage that with his younger brother. Cause it, you know, his younger brother does not understand why doesn't Declan want to be with me absolutely every single minute of his life right now. <laughs> right. And, you know, help, helping navigate that. He, his body's changing. He's getting taller. You know, the growth spurts are hitting frequently right now, Mm, you know? mm. So I just, I feel like I'm feeding a teenager and then the mood swings. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And, and I, I don't know how often you run into this, but I, I feel like unless someone has had boys, they're always surprised that there's those mood swings this early, mm-hmm. but it's no different. Oh yeah. Um, just, it might be expressed differently, but it's, it's absolutely there too. So oh, absolutely there. And sometimes you yeah. can even feel like a rhythm to it. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Totally. It's very interesting. Totally. Yep. We're like, well, here we are again. <laughs> yeah. No, for um, sure. I, and I think that one of the things that I'm so excited about and I and you know, as challenging as I as those swings can be, I also see him beginning to explore ownership and responsibility in a new way. Mm. And um, so just continuing to empower him as a person to really think about who he wants to be mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. how he wants to show up in this world and what he wants his impact on others to look like. He's really processing some amazing questions about his, you know, I mean, really the word that would attach to that is legacy, but we don't necessarily go there yet with him. Right. (laughs) Um, But that's that's what he's processing. And I think that that's an exciting stage to be in. Honestly, I think one of the most fun things about that is watching them try on different personalities, Absolutely. different, yes. different ideas, just kind of giving it a, yep. a whirl giving and it a see world. what fits. That's exactly <laughs> it. That's exactly yeah. it. Different <laughs> senses of humor being tried out and yes. Yes. <laughs> seeing what <Yes>. lands. <laughs> Well, given your professional role and your life experiences and your unique wiring, what are some of the things that you think about as you kind of create rhythms in your family and even for yourself in the Mm -hmm. care and keeping of your own mental health and and the mental health of your of your family as a whole? Yeah, I think probably where I would land on that. And this is just part of my, my own mental health journey is how connected pace was 
to my avoidance of like pain and and problems. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I made a really conscious decision when I was in my early 20s to not Sabbath, even though that had been something that had been a part of my formation early. Mm-hmm. Um, I made a conscious decision because the, the people around me didn't. Right. And, and, and just for our listeners who are unaware of what you're talking about when you say yeah, Sabbath, what does that like mean day, to you? Like a day of rest, a, mm-hmm. a day, a day uh, to be with God, to rest and to enjoy what he has given us and to yeah. cease from working. And so, you know, at that point in my life, I was working full time. I was a full time student. I had a side business and I was getting my certification in event planning all at the same time and planning my wedding. And so, like, you could just see how I had stacked mm-hmm. every minute of my life and for the, you know, sake of achievement. But it was really, I, you know, when you track it all back to what was I really doing, I, I was filling every possible void to avoid attending to to what was there. So that that pace, once you once you start to open up some space to be quiet and still and be with God, you can't help but kind of feel and attend to the things that are there. And so, you know, that reality of pacing and that gift of Sabbath has been a a priority for our family, not only because of what we believe about Sabbath and its importance, but also because they do believe that naturally because God is good and wise and kind in his gifts, that part of the gift of Sabbath will naturally lead towards a more whole and healthy heart, mind, Mm. and soul. So that that's a reason why I would say peace is a is a big deal for us and our family yeah. and work and life rhythms because it it will naturally open doors for us to attend to what's there. Yeah. Now, Michaela, I've heard you talk about forgiveness before in the past, and I wonder how do you think the act of forgiveness plays into mental health? Mm-hmm. That always, you know, one person's overall mental health. What is the connection there, or is there a connection? Yeah, I think there's absolutely a connection. So for us, it would be two words would be shalom and then tikkun olam. So tikkun olam is a Jewish concept that the rabbis would say really summarizes the purpose of the Jewish people. So when God called Abraham and had Moses at Mount Sinai and gave the Jewish people the law, their purpose was to represent him in this world and to bring light to the world. And the the way that that looked lived out was to bring to repair the world, to fill it with shalom. And the word shalom, it does mean peace. People recognize that it means peace. But the amazing thing about the Hebrew language, which you know, is that it's it's very layered and it's more pictures than it and phrases than it is just like words. Mm-hmm. And the the phrase and the picture of, of shalom is this idea of the cracks and gaps being filled, you know, mm-hmm. in a wall. It's being made whole mm-hmm. and there's nothing missing. It's as it should be. It's a very and active it, word. Yes, it's active. Mm-hmm. It is not passive in any way. Mm-hmm. And right. so Tikkun Olam would be this idea of going back to Eden and the world being repaired to the way that it should be. So when you think about forgiveness as a break and a breach in a wall, then we have a responsibility to that. Now, now again, like I feel like it's really important that 
forgiveness is not the same as like reconciliation. I think Mm -hmm. we can, we can identify that, but my spirit, what I, what I offer and what I do with the things that are broken really matters. And it's not necessarily contingent on the other person or their actions. And so, which in and of itself is freeing, right? Mm -hmm. You're not bound by them. So I think a great picture of this for our family, we have an artifact in my dad's office hanging up on my dad's wall. And it is a, it's a sword. And on that sword blade is the etching of a family story. And it's actually from World War II. My grandfather, who was a doctor serving Allied forces um, during World War II, who is a Jewish man. <laughs> a long story short, he was really bad with maps. And he was supposed to get his unit from one Allied camp to another over in Europe. And he misread the map and came across a, uh, didn't know that he misread the map, but came across a uh, Nazi vehicle. And they surrendered immediately to my grandfather's unit because their perspective was there's no way an Allied vehicle would be driving by itself in Nazi territory, we must have crossed right. over. Right. And so we're surrendering immediately. And um, my grandpa took them to the the camp that they were supposed to end up getting to. But the the leader of the Nazi soldiers that he had ca- they had captured gave the family sword, his his family sword to my grandfather, a Jewish man. Wow. And said thank you for treating us with dignity. Mm, wow. And, wow. and so that is, that's something that my grandfather brought home and has really just been an example to us of regardless of the actions, um, our responsibility to the world is to bring wholeness to it, to, mm. you know, add dignity to the human beings that we are around to, to offer dignity to the human beings that we um, encounter. And that gesture, you know, when you think about the scope of World War II and everything that happened, it, mm-hmm. it was very, it's miraculous. And it's like that one little ray of light in such a dark story that yeah. I look to and yeah. I think, man, what if we brought more of that to the relationships that we're, that we're in? So the connection between forgiveness and peace and repair, absolutely you know, not only the responsibility as a disciple of Jesus, but as someone who is made to bear his image mm-hmm. and be a be a partner with him in his work in this world requires us to really explore forgiveness in meaningful and deep ways. You know, as you're sharing that, I, I think I think about my own journey with uh, my own mental health. And I've shared this before. I, I battle um, or I live with generalized anxiety disorder okay. and I also have ADHD. Neither of those things I had words for until probably the last three or four years. And so most of my young yeah. life and these I've seen, I can see patterns going all the way back and behaviors and outcomes, things that choices that I've made, not fully understanding who I how I'm wired. And, yeah. and, and so and so I ended up carrying a lot of shame with that. And so I, you know, as you're talking about bringing shalom and and, and healing cracks and um and all of that. It's so interesting. My whole life, I've heard a lot about forgiveness, 
uh, it's not hard for me, just the way that I'm wired to forgive somebody else. And, and it's not even hard for me to hear and to know that God forgives me. The really hard part is to walk myself through the forgiveness of myself, forgiving mm-hmm. myself mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and really, truly laying that at, at God's feet and, and allowing yeah. the Holy Spirit to complete that effort or that hope of wholeness within me. Yeah. Uh, and I wonder, I wonder, I just wonder how many people out there can relate to that um, yeah. in terms of our own mental health and how much forgiveness, not just of others, but forgiveness of ourselves um, yes. plays into that. Absolutely. I think it plays a huge role. I would just say, I think, I think we all know we're an inadequate judge. <laughs> you know, right. We are unreliable. <laughs> we are unreliable. We, we don't have, you know, the, the discernment, wisdom, understanding, knowledge uh, of the king of the universe. And yeah. that's another thing that I would just say, connecting it back to pace and Sabbath is that Sabbath has been a huge part of reminding my heart on a weekly basis who he is, mm. who, who I am, mm-hmm. what's his to mm-hmm. own, what's mine to release yeah. <laughs> more often yeah. than not. And, and when we, when I can get that, you know, my heart, mind and soul rightly ordered those other aspects like forgiveness and how I treat myself, how I treat the people around me tends to get right sized because of that reordering. Cause it, you know, once that gets out of whack, all of the other things are just bonkers. (laughs) Yeah. And it changes how we interact with others. Mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. kids. It sure does. It sure does. <laughs> I have a verse that pops up on my phone at noon. So if you've heard a notification uh, beep, that's my verse popping up um, yeah. that says, and it, and it comes from Psalm 18 and it says, return to rest my soul for the Lord mm-hmm. has been good to me. Yeah. And it's just that remembering that the Lord has been good. The Lord has been faithful, um, not just to me, but he just is. And that with that knowledge, whatever's been going on, whatever my brain activity, my brain has been consumed with, here's a moment to return to rest. Yes. Well, as we wind up, I have a couple more questions for you. Um, One being in light of all of this that we've talked about, I mean, the, the title of this podcast is Grace in real time. And it's mm-hmm. the intent is exactly what it sounds like, yeah. <laughs> meaning that whatever's going around, there's always grace to be found. And yeah. there's something really powerful about showing up in community authentically and expecting, hoping that for the person in front of you as well. So one, I want to thank you for your authenticity here today. Thank you for that. Yeah. And not just today. I mean, I, that's just yeah. how I know you, but also as a lot of our listeners are children's ministers. Mm-hmm. So by nature, minister to kids and families. Yeah. How important is working on our own stuff? Kind of put that in context of being uh, someone who's called to ministry and ministering to kids. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if you remember, but I feel like it's a good illustration. Do you remember when Albert Tate was at CPC? <sighs> In this particular session, he got really quiet and he said, you know, we can get really good at this, but not for long. 
And I think as much as it can feel a little bit like he was getting in your business at that point, and maybe edging into an area that felt a little bit uncomfortable was incredibly loving Mm -hmm. because he was just inviting us into a real conversation that any of us can get really good at doing what we did when we were preteens of stuffing it down, Mm -hmm. showing up, doing what we were supposed to and dealing with all of this stuff behind the scenes. And now as a leader responsible for the discipleship of kids and families, you can get really good at showing up, doing what you're supposed to do, having, you know, the right smile, tone of voice, all of it, and go home and it be a different experience. And I don't say that to shame anybody. And I think if we were all really honest, we've all been there. Oh, for sure. And, and my hand is is, high in the sky. (laughs) Yeah. That's why I think it's so important. Number one, that we just normalize this conversation, which is why I appreciate so much this podcast and your voice in our community, Paula, because I think it just brings a loving, graceful reality to what it means to be a person serving in children's ministry. But also, I think it just highlights what is inside will get bumped and it will come out. And we have to attend to what's happening inside. Number one, because we're his children, we're made in his image, and he loves us. And so that's enough. That's enough to attend to it. But also, you are made in his image and his child, and you have been called to one of the most futuristic and strategic ministries of the church. And the generation that is looking at you deserves to see what it looks like to live a healthy and whole life following Jesus and being obedient and doing it imperfectly, but with his grace covering the entire journey. I would encourage any children's ministry leader listening to not let any stigmas or any stereotypes of attending to your mental health and your wellness and your, your your wholeness from keeping you from doing what you know you need to do. I think the next generation deserves to see us do better. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Well, thank you so much, Michaela. Thank you so much for taking time to be here and to share your heart and mm-hmm. um, just to love on us a little bit here. <laughs> yes, I am deeply grateful for this community, grateful for you and I think this is such an important conversation. So thanks for continuing to lead the way here. Wow, what a great conversation that you had with Michaela. I really appreciate her transparency, her honesty in sharing her story, and some really great tidbits, especially towards the end there, about people in ministry and how important it is to take care of ourselves. Yeah, it really got my wheels turning, thinking about what does it look like to care for ourselves, to attend to what's on the inside. I love what she said about just recognizing that whatever is on the inside will get bumped. And so it's important to attend to that so that when it does get bumped, we can respond in a way that is loving, loving towards ourselves and loving towards the people around us. And so thinking about what does it look like for me to attend to my mental health while in the midst of ministry. What does it look like for you, Jamie? Well, I think I'm still learning that. That's st- I'm still <laughs> evolving as far as that goes. And even though I've been serving in ministry 
with high school students for 20 years, I still struggle sometimes with maintaining the exterior, that everything's cool, everything's great. I'm maintaining, you know, I'm the same person outwardly that I've always been. I show up, I do my job, I sit and talk with the kids, I try to make connections. But I can honestly say from week to week, it can be a struggle. And mostly it's due to other circumstances, maybe work stresses that are going on, stresses at home that are going on, just my own personal battle with depression going on that, you know, uh, any particular day, I might not feel like going to church that day and serving in the ministry that I feel like I've been called to and I feel passionate about. But what is important for, for me to understand, and I think it's could be a good lesson for others in ministry is that we need to realize that taking care of ourselves first is important so that we can pour into others. We've heard this theme in I think every single show that we've done so far. Hmm. Each person that you've interviewed, I think that theme comes out about how important it is for us to take care of ourselves so that we can pour into others. If we are not tending to ourselves, then what we're bringing to the table in leading our kids and our students, hopefully, towards a relationship with Christ is, well, God can redeem anything, right? But I don't think we're bringing our best selves to that situation if we're not taking care of ourselves. And so I'm kind of getting long-winded about this, but what I'm getting around to is that, what's the name of this show? It's Grace in Real Time. And so we picked that name specifically because it is important for all of us to show ourselves grace mm-hmm. in real time every day. And I'm finding for myself, it's important when I have those days where I feel like I'm not doing well, I don't think I should go to church today. I don't think that I am going to be effective in what I'm doing. Sometimes I go anyway, and I trust that God is going to meet me there and he's going to do something within me and in my interactions that I'm having with the students. But also I think it might be important to say, you know what, today might be a good day for me to just take a break. Mm. And everything else is gonna happen is gonna happen no matter if I am there or not. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not dependent on me. And maybe I need that little break to take care of myself so that when I come back next week, I'm even better. Yeah, and it's funny what I hear you saying is that really it requires us to be able to give ourselves permission to take a pause and even discern whether this is the week to take a break or this is the week to press on trusting that God's going to do something no matter what place we're in. Right. I think oftentimes we look to other things, other people to give us grace. Right. Is God going to show me grace here or is Paula going to extend grace here in this Mm -hmm. situation where Mm -hmm. I'm not displaying my best me? But I think what we need to think about more is showing ourselves grace right? and saying, you know what, I need to take a break here or I need to focus on something that is going to be healthy for me in this moment instead of just pushing through and saying, I'll figure it out later. Right. And then not figuring it out. (laughs) Right. You know, one of the things I also think about as I'm listening to you share is I hear people in ministry and even people outside of ministry when it comes to self-care, feeling like there's some sort of selfishness there. Well, I just need to take care of myself, me, myself, and I, you know, whatever. And I think the bottom line is if self-care begins and ends there, then maybe there's truth to that. 
But if the self-care is the necessary thing that has to happen in order to then be present for others, in order to be um, present yourselves authentically, then it's not just unselfish. It's actually really, really, really important. And it's part of the equation. Yeah, I agree with that. It's it's about a frame of mind, right? So yeah. if you're if you're constantly saying, I'm gonna do this for myself, I'm gonna do that for myself, and it's only just for me. It's only for just for me. Our own yeah. edification, then yeah, I th- think there might be some issues with that. Maybe there might be some more questions to ask. <laughs> right. But like you say, if it's I'm doing this so that I can pour into others. Mm-hmm. I can be effective in meeting others. If I'm coming to a situation where I'm leading kids, I'm making myself available to talk to their parents, I'm sitting and having conversation with students. If I am bringing my best self and I'm open to what God has for all of us in that moment, yeah, then I'm going to be paying, my antenna is going to be up. I'm going to be paying more attention. Yeah to where God is moving and working and where I can step in and help the situation. I always do this because I want to lead somebody to a relationship with Christ. Mm-hmm. And if I am you know, focused on, oh, I'm feeling so depressed today, I just don't want to be here, or I had a fight with, with my wife and, and what? we haven't resolved it, and uh, <laughs> just, you know, I'm so angry right now, then am I really, do my, is my antenna really up to be open and pay attention to what God has for us in those moments where we're meeting and fellowshipping with our kids and students and families. Yeah. It's complicated, isn't it? It's kind of messy, but it's important. All right. Well, that is it for this episode of Grace in Real Time. Listeners, I am so glad that you joined in and I look forward to sharing more with you next month. Listening to the Grace in Real Time podcast with your host, Paula Mazza. If you'd like to get in touch with Paula, send an email to Paula at preteenmentalhealth.com. For more information on the Preteen Mental Health Initiative, the Grace in Real Time podcast, and to get connected to mental health resources, please visit our website, preteenmentalhealth.com.